Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. So we literally think through our emotions. We think through sight. We think through sound. Pick up any copywriting and really look at it and see how well does it appeal to your senses? How well does it appeal to sight, sound, smell, taste, touch? How well does it appeal to the emotional level? Can overthinking when people hear about unconscious marketing, this is not something you do when you're asleep, is it? No. It's, it's really the way people think and the way people make decisions and really appealing to that. I think most people kind of think that people make decisions logically. And I think a lot of marketing, a lot of sales tries to appeal to that logic. But, but most people actually make decisions um, unconsciously. They, they make it at the emotional level. A lot of salespeople have probably even heard that term that, People make the decision with emotions and then justify it with logic. So really what we're talking about when we talk about unconscious strategies is we're talking about how do we literally get into, you know, how people make decisions and why they make it and how can we use those techniques to dramatically increase, you know, whatever somebody's doing with their marketing or with their sales techniques. Do you think that many people who are who are into sales and marketing uh, understand that, that that line? I think some people do, and I think some people don't. A good example of that is is uh, natural-born salespeople, for example. Some natural-born salespeople understand it, but they understand it instinctively. Uh, a good example of that is I have a brother-in-law who is the CEO, the president of this long-distance company. And he basically became the president of his company um, basically just because he's a really good natural-born salesperson. Now, if you ask him what he does, he doesn't have a clue. Um, you know, he just does it. Um, but you can actually take the techniques that he does and teach them to other people so that people can become just like he does. And how can... can your average person who's interested in selling a product or a service take advantage of what you've learned and your services to to, to use unconscious marketing in in, the, in that way. Well, you know, it kind of starts off by figuring where you want to start with the unconscious marketing. Everybody does marketing, everybody does selling, um, and there's a little bit of a difference between the unconscious selling aspect of it and the unconscious marketing aspect of it. Um, on the sales side, it's a little bit more specific. You can work with somebody really individually, and you can literally figure out what that individual person is doing and how they're doing it. A good example of that is, is years ago, I was a stockbroker, and literally, 
I never had anybody that came in that didn't buy something. I literally had a 98% close ratio. Uh, I, I went six months one time without. The only person that didn't buy from me was what they called um, a shopper, a person that had come in that was just testing out, you know, whether we uh, answered the, the compliance-type questions. And it, it literally shocked me that this person didn't buy. And the only reason they didn't, obviously, is they didn't have the capability to buy. So from a sales point of view, um, you can take these techniques and get really, really specific with the person. You can, you know, tailor it to them and, and meet their internal ways they do stuff. And I'll give you some examples of, of how we do that. On the marketing side, really what we're doing is appealing um, to the emotions and appealing to, again, the reasons why people do things and making whatever you're doing that much more effective, whether it's a direct mail piece, whether it's advertising. Um, let me give a, an, an example of that. Years and years ago, again, part of my background is as a hypnotherapist. So years ago, I was running some ads um, on weight loss. And I took one of these techniques and just put it into the ad. And for the same ad that we were doing in the paper, once we put this technique into it, my income jumped 500% that month. So just by taking some of these unconscious techniques and, and doing what we're already doing, we can really change things and, and move things around. How did you find out about this? How did this come to you? Is uh, reading a little bit about your background, uh, starting as a thing that really interested me is when you're starting off as a prison guard and looking at the manipulative side of cons and ex-cons. I thought that was a, was a very, uh, maybe a telling thing about how uh, uh, people are able to be um, to have their unconscious desires uh, tweaked when it comes to sales. Yeah, that, those were fascinating. When I first got out of college, I spent seven years as as a prison guard, and it just fascinated me how here's these people that that are in prison. They're pretty much what you, what you would consider helpless. Um, you know, they have no power, literally. And yet they're able to accomplish amazing things. I mean, they get, they get uh, guards to literally bring drugs into them. And yet every guard knows that they're not supposed to do that. Uh, the first example that I had is, is a guy was hired at the same time I was. And about six months later, I heard the guy got fired for bringing drugs into the prison. And it was just incredible. I mean, I thought, how is that even possible? You know consciously, logically, rationally that, that you don't want to bring drugs into prison. To an inmate, you know you're going to go to jail if you do that. You know you're going to get fired. You know your whole life's going to get messed up. And yet, inmates are able to persuade, you know, guards to do that all the time. And then I started looking at um, the same techniques that inmates use are the same techniques that con men use. I, I think a lot of salespeople could benefit by using the same techniques, um, although using them what we would call ethically and with integrity. But it's just amazing that, that con men are able to take people and convince them to, to give them their entire life savings, and yet some salespeople aren't able to convince somebody to actually buy something that's in their own best interest. Um, so if, if your, your average person, say, say you know, for the argument's sake, for, for, for me, if I had a widget that was maybe I knew was the best widget, 
but I'm not converting sales. I'm not turning it around. What or which of your techniques would be a good one for for me to start with? Well, it, it depends on how you're selling that again. We've, we've got kind of a difference between um, selling one-on-one or selling, you know, to a general market, which is what I would call marketing. When you sell to a, you know, when you're doing advertising, you're selling to just a general population. If you're selling one-on-one, that's really simple. Uh, a good example of that is, is you can literally elicit somebody's what I would call unconscious buying strategy. And... Once you have that unconscious buying strategy, all you have to do is literally follow us, and the person will literally automatically buy. Let me give you an example of that. Yesterday, I was teaching a class to a bunch of real estate agents, and the class was called Buyers Are Liars, because in the real estate industry, that's a real common saying among real estate agents, because all the time, they're out trying to sell a house to somebody, and somebody will tell them, look, this is the kind of house I want. I want a house in this price range you know, that kind of looks like this and that has a bedroom like that, and then a month later the person turns around and buys something completely different than what they told the agent. They might have told the agent they want a one-story ranch-style house and they end up buying a a two-story house. They might tell them they wanted it in this particular price range and they end up buying a house that's in a completely different price range. So in the industry, you know, real estate agents are constantly saying buyers are liars. If you actually know somebody's unconscious buying strategy, it's really easy to sell to them. So, for example, when I was teaching this class, I asked one of the real estate agents. We just literally elicited his strategy. And most of the time, when you ask somebody, you know, what do they want when it comes to, like, a house, they'll just say, well, I'm looking for a house that has three bedrooms. I'm looking for a house, you know, in this kind of price range. And they'll give you some generalistic ideas of what they're wanting in a house. Instead of doing that, one of the questions that I asked the agents, asked this particular agent as we were listening to the strategy, is how did you decide to buy your last house? And based on that, he gave me his particular strategy. His particular strategy was it had to be the right neighborhood. The house had to have the right layout. It had to have quality materials. And it had to be easy to resell. Now, once I've got that, that was his actual strategy, and there's a whole technique to that. It, it literally takes us like a day to teach that to people. But once we've got that, now I could ask him real specifics. What do you mean by the right neighborhood? And we could get real specific about what he was talking about when he talked about neighborhood. It, it meant that it had to have houses of a similar kind of nature around it, same kind of price range. Um, it, with him, it even got more specific that the houses – you know, around it had to look similar. You couldn't have um, a two-door house next to a ranch-style house, for example. They had they had to look very similar. The next thing to him was the layout. So, again, we get real specific about what did the layout mean to him. And for him it was it had to be open. So when you walked in the door, you had to be able to not only see the, the living room but the dining room, etc. It had to have this wide open feel to it. And then the, the third thing was the quality. So the materials that the house was made out of had to be really, were really, really important to him. And then the, that fourth thing was, you know, that it had to be really easy to turn over. Now, as we got real specific about what each one of those things meant, we knew exactly what he was looking for in a house. 
And then all I did was was literally, I, I told him, don't buy this house for me. And then I turned around and described it to him and said, look, it's in the right neighborhood. It's got the right layout. It's got the right quality. You're going to be able to turn around and sell it really easy. Will you buy it? And the guy automatically said yes. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, don't buy it. He goes, I can't help it. I'm going to buy it. And that's because it met his unconscious strategy exactly. And we all have these unconscious strategies. For example, you have an unconscious strategy for how you buy anything. And as a salesman, if, if I can just elicit that strategy from you, if I can figure out how you do that, all I have to do is repeat it back to you, and you'll buy. You literally will do it unconsciously. You, and, and you'll like the process while you do it. It'll literally feel good to you. So the whole concept of resistance in sales is just that. You don't have the person's buying strategy, and you're not repeating it back to them in the particular order that they use. Good example was, again, this real estate agent. If, if the order was totally important, if I started to try and sell in the house based on the quality and then the layout, and then it was in the right neighborhood, he wouldn't buy it. It had to be presented in the exact order. So if I'm selling the house, we might have to, to start off with, you know, look at, the, look at the neighborhood. The neighborhood's right. Look at the layout. The layout's right. Get, get a feel for the quality. The quality's right. And you'll be able to turn around and, and resell it when you go to resell. When it was put in that specific order and sequence, he automatically would buy. The problem with buyers or buyers is, is the real estate agents didn't know how do you elicit that strategy. How do you get real specific about the order that somebody buys something in and the specifics about what's important to them? You'll notice in that none of those things that that guy said had anything to do with how many bedrooms it had, you know, what the bathroom looked like or anything like that because those things weren't important to him. Yet, if I had probably asked him in the first place, what kind of house do you want, those would probably be some of the terms he would have used to describe it is, you know, I want a house with three bedrooms. I want it, you know, in this kind of a neighborhood etc., etc., and, and yet those weren't really the important things to him. Ken, what's the process that, that you go through if you, to, to teach a salesperson how to take advantage of these unconscious persuasion techniques? Well, I think, it, it, again, it depends on the salesperson and what they're doing. When we're working with real estate agents, we literally go through this process and teach them how to elicit somebody's buying strategy. I, I think that's real important. We also, with, with salespeople in general, go through and teach them what, what I would call a whole bunch of hypnotic um, languaging techniques and sales techniques that come straight out of hypnosis. Um, language itself is, is really, really important when you're in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Let me give you an example of that. The, the words and, but, and even though. Those three terms are tremendously important when you're using them in a sales context. I'll give you an example of that. If, if I said it's sunny, sunny today and it will rain tomorrow, that kind of makes both of those equations the same. It's sunny today and it's going to rain tomorrow. In your mind, you give them equal weight. If I said, though, it's sunny today but it will rain tomorrow, you really discount the fact that it's sunny today and your mind focuses on it's going to rain tomorrow. If I said it's sunny today even though it will rain tomorrow, you really focus on it's sunny today and you pretty much discount the fact that it's going to rain tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So just using the distinctions between and, 
but, and even though, you can change how someone's perceiving the word you're using. Again, uh, objections. You never get objections when you're meeting somebody's buying strategy. But if you did get objections, what you can use is, is a whole technique that we call reframing. And reframing is literally changing how the person is thinking about your particular product or how it applies to them. And there's literally 26 different ways you can do that. So, for example, I was doing a consulting agreement with Farmers Insurance, and we went in and took the whole concept of life insurance and wrote out some scripts for them and wrote out a bunch of these reframes so that no matter what a client said to the agent, the agents had a reframe for it that totally changed the person's point of view and how they were thinking about insurance. For example, when we talk about life insurance, most people put the, the context or the frame around it that it's an expense. It's, it's money that I'm going to be shelling out every single month that I may not ever use. And if the customer's thinking that, it's kind of a hard sell. How do you convince somebody to buy something like that if, if that's the way they're thinking, if they think that it's this expense that I'm having to shell out every month? One of the ways that we did that, there was a whole bunch of ways we did it, but I'll give you one of the ways. One of the ways was we changed it from being an expense to the fact that, that this money that you're paying out every single month is a guaranteed investment. For example, if you invest in the stock market or in mutual funds, is it a guaranteed investment? No. You know it's going to go up. You know it's going to go down. And when you die, do you know how much your children are going to get? No. You don't know. You kind of can guess, but you don't know. With insurance, if you put in X number of dollars, for example, if you put in $1 million, it's a guaranteed return. I can guarantee you that when you die, your children are going to get $10 million. doesn't matter what the stock market does. doesn't matter what real estate does. Doesn't really matter. It's a guaranteed investment. And it's the only thing that you can get that is guaranteed to pay X number of dollars return. So when people all of a sudden started thinking about it that way, they thought, oh, hey, this is a much better investment than putting money in my mutual funds. And that was because sense. you reframed the situation. Exactly. We reframed it from being an expense to being a guaranteed investment changes the terminology in their mind as they're thinking about it. Totally. And there's literally, like I say, 26 different ways to do that. And how do you... Working with, with any particular product on a one-on-one -on -one basis with somebody. How do you move that across? How do you move these uh, hypnosis and unconscious concepts uh, uh, across to the larger marketing where they become more, uh, I would say, like propaganda techniques, perhaps, in a way. Well, when we go to larger marketing, when we're talking about marketing or advertising, then we concentrate less on the specifics and more on the general principles that apply. For example, when we talk about, you know, generalized marketing, we talk about some of the specific principles like emotions. Uh, for example, people, again, buy things for certain emotions. Uh, let me give you some examples of emotions. Curiosity is one of the principles that, that we often apply there. A good example of that is when I was, I, I used to own um, some Arby's Roast Beef restaurants. 
And when I was building those, we would never put up a sign telling what the restaurant was going to be as it was being built. We would put up a sign that said, coming soon. And we never say what was coming soon. And even as we were building the restaurant, we would never put up any kind of identification that would tell what it was going to be. By the time it was in construction, the construction workers would always get kind of irritated because every single day, people would drive by and ask, what are you guys building? What's going in here? And literally, by the time the restaurant was built, the entire town was talking about it. Because people would drive past, they wouldn't know what it was, they'd ask their friends. So, so using curiosity, um, the emotion of that can tremendously change things. Another emotion that can really um, apply on a global basis like that is, is fear. So how can you use the emotion of fear to tie into your particular product? For example, what I found as a stockbroker was that the vast majority of people actually bought based on fear. Even back in the 90s when the market was, was going up every single day, a lot of stockbrokers thought that, that people were buying based on greed. They really weren't. They were buying based on fear. And, and the fear was is that they were losing out. You know, everybody else was making money, and they weren't. So you even had, you know, 70-year-old ladies walking in the door and, and cashing out their CDs and, you know, buying mutual funds because they were afraid that they were going to lose out. So you can take the concept of fear and apply it to your particular product. How are people going to lose if they don't buy your particular product, if they don't have this? What are they going to lose out on? An another particular uh, psychological principle you can use that way is what I would call contrast. You can use contrast with almost any particular product. A um, good example of that is the principle itself says that whenever we compare two things, the second thing we compare to will seem much more different. So if I handed you something light and then handed you something heavy, the heavy thing would seem much more heavier if I handed you something light first. So, for example, if, if I'm in a clothing store, and I'm wanting to sell you a suit, the best thing I can possibly do is show you the most expensive suit I've got in the entire store first. doesn't matter what your price range is, because now the next suit I show you is going to seem much cheaper by comparison. Same thing. If you're going to buy several items of clothing, the best thing I can do is tell you the expensive suit first. Because now once you've bought the expensive suit, Buying a tie, buying a sweater to go with it, buying a belt is going to seem like, oh, no big deal. Those are all cheap in comparison. Same thing with real estate. Again, if I'm, if I'm taking you out and showing you houses, I'm going to want to use that contrast principle. So, for example, if I've got certain things in a price range that I want to show you, what I'm going to want to show you is the worst, most beat-up houses in that price range first. Because then when I show you the good things, the good things are going to seem much better by comparison. You'll think you're getting a real deal. Exactly. So, again, on a direct marketing basis, you can see that people even use that principle. 
for the same you use that principle if I'm going to upsell you really at, at the end of I think some direct marketers actually misuse this technique because at the end of it they'll say you know you can buy our gold package and you get this much more for this much extra price really the best way to do that is to, to try and sell the most expensive thing first and and then sell the other one. The other one's going to seem so much cheaper by comparison. You, you can see that with Yinzu knives. You know, they, they keep saying, you know, it should cost this, it should cost this, it should cost this, and then when they finally say, and it's only nineteen ninety-five, people just go, wow, that is so cheap. These techniques would be very wise to use at the beginning of a campaign, well, wouldn't they? Uh, so you could create your advertising and marketing uh, around these techniques and uh, and uh, tenants first. Oh, absolutely. You want to, it doesn't matter what you do, you want to be able to, as, as you're creating a marketing campaign, start going through the different psychological principles and seeing how you can apply them to, to what you're doing. Um, for, for example, um, you know, taking the whole idea of pain or pleasure, you know, how would you apply that to what you do? A another good example is, is people have an unconscious desire to belong, to be a part of a group. So, for example, how would you use that in, in your particular business, in, in your marketing stuff? good example of that is, is, is doing some consulting with a martial arts studio. One of the ways we did that is, is, is people do get a certain sense of ego and a certain sense of, of personal power from, from taking martial arts, and they've got all kinds of other emotional reasons for doing it. But we literally tripled the, the student count in this particular martial arts store when I had the guy literally make a T-shirt that had the name of his studio on it that, that was each particular that, that he literally gave out to the students that they could wear outside of the studio. Now, the other thing we did to that is we used another psychological principle along with that, which is we said, look, people, again, get a certain sense of pride, which, which again, we're tying into the emotions there, from each rank advancement they get. So take that same principle, let's apply it to the T-shirts. Now, each time they get a rank advancement, you know, it's really nice if I'm a black belt versus, you know, a red belt, but, but who knows that? Well, everybody else in the studio. But nobody outside knows that. I don't get to wear my black belt when I'm going to the supermarket. But in this particular martial arts studio, what we did is we said, give them a different colored T-shirt each time they get a rank advancement. Now, there's a certain amount of pride to wearing that particular T-shirt out in public. You know, no... no there's exclusivity. Nobody else has it. Plus, every time you get a rank advancement, now you have to wear a different colored one out in public. So you tie a whole bunch of emotions into it out in public, and people would ask about it, so it builds word of mouth. People would wear the T-shirts. People stayed much longer as students because, again, they, they got to go out in public and, and advertise the fact that, that they were martial arts students, so, again, you can see how you can tie that emotion into something. Ken, are you doing all uh, 
personal consulting sessions, or do you have an information product, a uh, a CD or a or an ebook about uh, unconscious marketing that, that I, you have I available? I don't have any kind of particular products at the moment. We're in the process of, of doing a website, and in the process of doing some particular um, products like that. But at the moment, my time's really taken up just tremendously by doing all the consulting that I'm doing. So it's, it's a matter of trying to get the products out um, while we're doing the consulting that we're doing. I have done a lot of products, but they've been real specific to specific industries, and and they're proprietary to the particular clients that we've done. For example, when we've done the the, the reframing or the sales work, those are real proprietary to that particular industry. You can imagine how someone else would want to get a hold of that because um, the techniques are just so powerful. Um, so when we've gone in and done a consulting agreement, it has been proprietary to that particular person. Here is another bonus I want you to know about, extremely valuable. If you go to another site of mine called Executive Audio Institute, that's executiveaudioinstitute.com, all together, no slashes, you will see a site with nothing but all my audio recordings, all in downloadable MP3 form. Now, these are the same recordings that I have on hardtofindseminars.com in the audio clip section, except I will offer you the reprint rights to all of these audio recordings. In other words, I'm going to hand them to you on a silver platter. If you have a website and you need something that generates traffic, I will set up a custom site for you and you can send your visitors to my collection of audio recordings as a bonus. You have here thousands of dollars worth of audio content on some of the best interviews on the internet. You have hundreds of transcripts that you can print out and share with your customers. I'm not going to charge you a dime for it. I'll even build you a custom site. All you have to do is put a small deposit down, but it's refundable once you introduce it to your list. Go on over to executiveaudioinstitute.com and read the first part. You'll see a link. If you want the reprint rights to these audios, it'll explain everything there. I think you're going to find this extremely valuable. It has taken me years and years to build up this collection, to get them all edited, to put the transcript. I've invested tens of thousands of dollars in this collection, and I want you to have it. Go check it out, executiveaudioinstitute.com.